Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thanks, Brother Dylan. You're doing an awesome job today. Thank you for stepping in and helping us out here. And good afternoon, brethren. Welcome to 2016. We are all here. And I know we're not governed by, actually, we, we are governed by the Roman calendar, whether we like it or not, but we are governed by it. And whether you like it or not, I think we love it. We are a year closer to coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how we look at it. And, you know, New Year, as you can probably know, you hear it all over the place. As people wish each other so many good greetings and, you know, and hope for the best in the next coming year. Good health, you know, good prosperity, good jobs, and all this blah, blah, blah. We all know well that actually every single year now from the last, I don't know how far we can go. It's just getting worse. And worse is actually not getting better. Here and there on a personal level for some people might get a little bit better. But in general, when you would consider the whole world, you put the whole word into the consideration. I don't think that things are getting better. You know, I'm looking forward to 2016, you know, for many personal reasons. In February, it's going to be 25 years since I came to this country. So I landed at Pearson Airport and I still stepped my foot at Canadian Grand. It just went like that, 25 years. The other also big number is, you know, in a half year, half year, half year from today. We'll celebrate our 25th anniversary. There's something looking forward into it. Hopefully God will grant us, you know, we'll survive till that time and celebrate our 25th anniversary. I know the times go very quick. But just basically just shows you, you know, how fragile we are as a human being. And, you know, we try to control many things in our life, but there is one thing that we can control, and it's time. And time is going, it's moving forward. Whether we like it or not, we just flip the you know, the pages on our calendar. And here we are, first Sabbath of the new year, and we are already a year older. And I talked to Brother Gore today in Florida, and they're having a fantastic weather there for the last week. And he's healthy. Linda is healthy. They're okay. They're going to church today. They worship there with the local United Church group. And this group is growing. They were surprised as they missed them for six months, and they already grew by eight or ten people. And they're technically speaking on the same subject that we're talking here. So we can see like God's spirit is working everywhere in God's uh, congregation. So that was nice to hear. So what I want to talk today, I was inspired by the youth message that we covered for last three weeks. We're talking about the parable. And I printed the list that Pastor Mori sent to us after his first uh, study with the young people. And I just looked at all these parables and I went over them. And I just realized that I've been in a church on a long time, but there are still some parables that I don't fully grasp the meaning, you know, out of these parables. And I know, I already admitted when I have my study with you, with you guys, young people, remember that I was, you know, I was telling you that there are some parables that gave me a trouble for a long time because I couldn't understand them, like the one we tried to cover about the unjust Steward, that's one of them. And there are also a few others of them. So there are about 46 parables in the Bible. Some of them are very long. Some of them are very short. Some of them are very easy. And some of them are not so easy. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to cover just two today. That I think I'll have time for it. And I have a third one ready. I might not have time to do it today, but hopefully I'll have some time to maybe my one of the sermon message, maybe next week or a week later, we'll see. Hopefully we'll see how the time will go. But why would Jesus using parable? Or what is a parable? And, you know, we cover with the young people so many times. What is the definition, the simplest definition of a parable? And you guys probably remember, right? Daniel, you know what is the definition of a parable? Can you share? It's a short story. It can be fictional story, but with a moral or a secret meaning in this story. 
And Jesus is a lot of teachings in a parable. Now, the question, other question that, you know, we want to answer today, why was Jesus Christ speaking to all these crowds? Why he was speaking to them in parable? And I thought first that Christ was speaking to parable, parable so that when people, normal people, just the regular people who are unable to read or write, when they would hear a parable, it will be something more meaningful to them, more understandable to them. But as you read the Bible, as you read some statement of Jesus Christ, it's not actually true. It's not actually true. In many cases, yes. You know, the parable, the meaning of parable, stories. We can remember stories. We can remember parables. Once we remember the stories and we remember the parables, it's usually the meaning will stay with us. We'll never forget it. So that's one of the points. But not all of the parables are clear. Open your Bible to Mark, Mark chapter 4. We'll start where Andrew finished today. Mark chapter 4, and in verse 10. So Mark 4, in verse 10. Just repeat this few, few verses. Verse 10, but when he was alone. So first he, he, he spoke to the crowds. He spoke the parable about the sower. He spoke this parable, and then later in verse 10 here, but when he was alone, those around, around him, with the twelve, asked him about the parable and said to him. And verse 11, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in a parable. So wait a minute. I thought the parable was just easy story to understand. So all the people in the crowd were able to grasp it and understand. But Jesus says, no, that's not so. And we know that even his disciples in many times had a problem to understand what Jesus was trying to portray the message in his parable. And Jesus here quotes from Isaiah chapter, verse 12. He says, so that seeing they may know that they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand is they should turn and their sins be forgiven to them. And verse 13, and he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables that I'm about to give to you? So it's not for everyone to understand Christ's teaching. Now just skip down to verse 33. The same chapter, just verse 33 And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And verse 34. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. He was speaking the stories to the crowd. Not all of them understood what he was saying. Later, privately, he was explaining the stories to his disciples. Now, there is additional Information here in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Just turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 verse 10. Matthew 13 and verse 10. And it's almost the same thing. And the disciple came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parable? In parables. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So we see, it's not about the popular opinion that is prevailing today, that parable is just the simple stories to teach us something about the kingdom of heaven actually the, the stories, the parables, and the teaching of the kingdom of heaven is only for those who are called. And these people can know and understand and explain the stories and follow the teaching of this. It's not for everybody as people want to, as people want to believe. And now, if you skip down to verse a little bit forward to verse 16, which goes just in a minute, in a second here. But you see, in many times, like, we think that people who are more educated, people who spend, you know, a lot of time at universities and, you know, 
to have like uh, lots of letters before the names, like PhD. You, will, you may see like doctor in theology or something like that, PhD. You will think that these people have a greater understanding of the word of God that you know some of us here, but we know it's not true. Only God has the power to open your eyes, open your ears, and open your mind that you can actually grasp and understand the teaching of Jesus Christ. So that's why here in Matthew, in verse 16, and here Jesus saying in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Verse 17, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Just think for a moment. There are many prophets, even from the Old Testament, a godly man. Even Daniel was trying to search into the scripture, pray to God. He tried to understand about Jesus Christ and the God's kingdom. And they did not have the vision. They did not have the comprehensions that we have today just by having this New Testament writing in front of us. That's how blessed we are today. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted, brethren. So now as we understand the purpose of the parable, why Christ was teaching in a parable, what is a parable, I said we're going to cover two today. The first one I did with the young people is the workers in the vineyards. So you guys might be a little bit bored for a while, but, you know, I have a little additional information to this parable. So it will be a little bit easier for you. You will probably never forget about it. So open your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. And that's one of the parables that gives me a, a difficult time when I was, you know, trying to study and I was trying to understand the Bible. So, actually, let's start. I think we should start from the last chapter, last verse, chapter 19 and verse 30 here. But it says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And here in chapter 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, verse 4, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and, and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? Verse 7, they said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. Verse 11, And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, This last man have worked only one hour, and you made him equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this, I, I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your right evil because I am good? And verse 16, so the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, first time I look at this parable, and I ask myself a question. Is God fair? I didn't think so. Just think for a moment. If you just try to 
interpret the scripture from our human perspective, from our economic point of view, this parable doesn't make any sense. But he's got fair. Have you ever asked yourself, have you ever prayed, or have you ever complained, or have you ever, you know, ever entertained a thought of your head? Father, are you fair? Or, you know, God's way is not fair. You know, probably all of us went to some of or kind of this experience. You know, we, we know that we go. Some of us have a little bit harder lives than others. Some of us have more, you know, obstacles in our way than others. And I, I, can, I can guarantee you that many of us probably question if that's fair. But, you know, this question, is God fair? It's all over through the Bible. Many times God's people have a problem that God's ways are not fair. Let me give you an example in Ezekiel chapter. Hold your place here in Matthew. We'll come back here. But just go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. So here the prophet Ezekiel is writing to the, to the Jews who are in Babylon, outside of their homeland, and they're just wondering, what happened? What God is so unfair to us? Look at some of the verses. Look at verse 18 and chapter 25. 18, chapter 25, uh, verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 25. And you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, how house of Israel, is not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair. And let's go throughout the Ezekiel, and you know, we can also see in verse 29, which is basically the same thing. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair. And they were complaining. They were sinful people. They went into captivity, and now they complain to God that God is not fair towards them. And, you know, we go through life, and many times we're asking ourselves, is God really fair? Is God dealing with us fairly to the amount of troubles and tribulations we may have in our lives? Let's go back to this parable. Let's take this parable a little bit, you know, take it apart. If you think it's God is fair in this parable, let's say just put yourself, put yourself into the shoes of the first laborers who are hired the first in the morning, okay? Let's put yourself into the shoes of the first group that would hire, okay? Let's say, let's, let's just, you know, we work, we work on a farm. Let's say we want a farm here in Canada. So let's say it's a July. We work in a vineyard. It's 33 degrees with humidity is 41. It feels like 41. You just go outside and you sweat. You work 12 hours a day. Okay? You know, you're happy. You're going to get 100 bucks pay at the end of the day. You say, praise the Lord. But as you work, you came, you were the first one to work. You were the first one to report, first one to start working. You know that some people came a little bit later. Some people join you in a half of the day, and some people, almost sun is setting down, so it's not so hot. It's a little bit cooler now. Some people just come one hour before you finish your shift. And they join you, and you look at the end of the day, the boss is giving you 100 bucks. The boss gives you the guy who come one hour just before the end. He gives them $100. And the people who just join you in the middle of the day, they get $100. Is that fair? I work all day. Look at me. I'm sweating like, you know, like a peak here, okay? I work so hard. The heat of the day, the humidity, just this thing alone killed me. I work 12 hours. And these people work just one hour. Is that fair? Oh, now he's shaking your head. No, oh, now it's not fair. Okay. So you wouldn't be happy, right? What if you were in the last group? You come before just at the end of the day. You come, one hour work, you get $100 pay. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This guy is so stupid. What did you say this thing? Right. You see? So, when you try to read this parable from human perspective, or from the business perspective, this parable doesn't have any sense whatsoever. Because it wouldn't function like that. 
You know, let's, 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 let's just, you know, you're a generous Christian. You're a very generous Christian and say you're very rich. Like, you know, Bill Gates. And, you know, you decide, okay, I'll open up, I'll open up your, your factory in, let's say, in, in downtown Hamilton. So all these people that, you know, homeless people, I'll hire them. I'll pay them whatever do I desire. So let's say, imagine the same scenarios. You know, we hire people. Some people were whole day. Some people were half day. Some people were just one hour. They all get the same pay. What do you think what would happen to you if you try to run a company like that? It's not going to be a long time because some people who work the whole day will say, you know what, boss, that's not fair. You know, we've got to change it. These people make the same money. You know, there's got to be some difference. You don't pay them according to their labor or to their ability. You just pay everybody the same money. But you will say, hey, I'm the owner. I can do what I want to do. So these people will say, uh-huh. We can deal with this guy, even though he's our boss. You know what? Let's go to the government. We're going to change our rules here a little bit. So, you know, we're going to bring some justice here. So try to do it through government. If you can't do it through government, then you will say, we're going to have a union here. That will be the best thing. Let's start a union here. And everybody will be treated fairly. Right? You can't win. Even though you would wish, probably, if it, well, no matter how rich you were, if you try to treat employees like that, you would lose in the end because the, your own employee will actually destroy you in the end. So we can look at this parable just from the economic point of view. There's got to be something more to that. It's got to be some spiritual meaning. So as I was sharing with the young people, some of you probably were sitting closer, we heard. Many times, not all the times, but many times when you read God's parable, it's good to identify the players in this parable, to know on a spiritual level who is who. And then once you identify who is who and you go back and start reading this parable from the beginning, it starts to open your eyes. Start open, you start, you start to make a sense what this parable is saying. So, in this case, in this parable, what do you think? Who is the landowner? And I know they already know, right? Who is the landowner in this parable? Will be God, right? Okay. What's the marketplace? He goes in the marketplace every day. What is the meaning of the market, marketplace? Will be the whole world. Who are the laborers here? Believers. What's the vineyard? God's kingdom. Who is the steward? Pays the money at the end of the day. Jesus Christ. What is the day of work? Is the time when we have on our hand, but one day this time's gonna be over. There'll be no more time. Either we die or God's kingdom come. And what is the evening? Evening came, they all cease working. That's the judgment day. It's gonna come upon everybody. And what's the wage? That's the payment. That's the eternal life, as we're gonna find out a little bit later in this parable. Now here. In this parable, in verse 2, Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he said, send them into this vineyard. First group. One denarius a day wouldn't make you rich, but one denarius a day was a very, very generous offer for a regular laborer. So, one denarius a day, that was the same amount of money that the Roman soldier would be paid. One denarius a day. It's a very generous offer. It's not you're going to be rich, but it was a very generous offer. To work 12 hours in heat and humidity, would it still very generous offer. Not many people back then in that society could get paid one denarius a day for the labor. Okay? So we have to put this thing right into this. What happened? Was it fair or not fair, the payments, right? Now we see it also in this parable. You know, there were a few groups of people that were hired, you know, at different times. So you can see here in verse, right here in verse 1, they were hired about 6 o'clock in the morning. That's the time how the Jews would read the time. 
the day would start from 6 o'clock in the morning, it would finish at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, there would come the times toward, like, first hour of the day, that will be 7 o'clock, third hour of the day will be 9 o'clock, sixth hour of the day will be 12 o'clock, and ninth hour will be 3 o'clock, and then eleventh hour will be 5 o'clock. So there were, you know, there were four different groups, five different groups. One of the groups, they were hired at 6 o'clock, right at the beginning of the day. The others were at 9 o'clock. The others were at 12 o'clock. The next one was at 3 o'clock, and the last one at 5 o'clock, just one hour before the end of the you know, working, day, working day. Now, it also says here that at the end of the day, the landowners, who like I said, you know, would be God and had to be God. I will tell you why. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, hold your place here. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, I look here at verse 14. It's a God's law, but you know, many today in society think that, you know, this is done away. Verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Everybody. Verse 15, each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and he has set his heart on it. Lest he cried out against you to the Lord and it, be, and, and it will be sin to you. So this land, landowner does exactly what God's law says. At the end of the day, before the sunset, he pays everybody what he promised. And as I said, as we read through this parable, we try just to look at it from our economic point of view, from, you know, from anything, you know, from anything that we can possibly imagine in our human terms. You know, this, this parable is not about, you know, communism, socialism, or capitalism, or any, anything like it, right? It's just about very rich spiritual meaning. And here, this first group, I want you to notice that when the first group went to the work, they all agreed. There was a proposal, and they agree, because it says in verse here, in verse second, he, now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them away. But as he came back to this marketplace, and you know, he came at later time, he, he came at nine o'clock, and in verse, in verse four, look what he said here. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyards, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. There's no negotiation here. How much you will pay? And, you know, it's just a speculation. It's reading between the lines. Probably they were present when he was in the morning, and he was speaking to the first group. So they heard him how generous, how generous man he was. So they never even questioned. He says, I'll pay you what is right. And they think, well, if he's going to pay the one denarius, I think he's going to treat us right. So they went right away, no even question asked. And so all this thing happened, you know, all the way as you go through all this group to the last group. Now, it's also interesting here, the last group. And and about the 11 hour, verse 6, he, he went out and found others standing idle. And said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said, just come, I'll give you a labor. So I love this story because I remember, I shared this story with our young people. I remember when I was in a refugee camp. When I was in a refugee camp, and you know, I had food and I have shelter, I have a place to sleep, and I was not, not naked and I was not hungry. But, you know, I didn't have any money. So everybody likes to make some extra money. So there was like a big, big street just right beside the refugee camp. And there were hundreds of people, hundreds of people, maybe close to a thousand people, just lying out close one by one by the street and hoping the car would stop and somebody would just open window and say, you want to work? 
And, you know, if you would say, I need you to, let's say, in my garden for a whole day, I'll pay you this and this. Just open the door, you quickly jump. Or the guy says, I need three guys or four guys or five guys, whatever. Or I need a lady to help me clean my home. Or I need this or I need that. And, you know, most of the people were actually lining up very early in the morning, 6 o'clock, trying to get the most opportunity that you can. But, you know, as the day progressing, as the hours went by, as come just the middle of the day, most people just went back, went back home because, you know, nobody's going to come and hire just for a few hours of the day. You know, there were some lucky calls. Somebody occasionally, some car stops here and there. But it wasn't as, you know, as good as you were expecting in the morning. And I remember I was lucky once. No, I was lucky twice. I was just standing there. The guy just stopped. He took us. Not even questioned us how much. We were just happy to go and see. And, you know, and we got our pay. It was very generous pay. We got lunch included. So we have some generous people. But there are some occasions where some people actually cheated for people. They asked them to do heavy labor. They didn't pay them or pay them just a little. Not even worth it for all this effort, what they were doing. That's how it was. So in this story, these people here, they're not lazy. They're not idle. It's almost the end of the day. I have no money. I have nothing to come home and feed my family. But I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting there. I'm hoping that somebody's going to give me a little bit. So this landowner goes into the marketplace. He says, I see some people. They're not lazy. They want to work. Otherwise, they'll be somewhere else. They'll be home. They'll be, you know, drinking beer, watching movie, go to the beach, or, you know, hey, it's a beautiful day. It's the middle of the summer. You know, I don't want to stay in the marketplace and just, just sweat there, right? But they're standing there. They're hoping. They have a hope. They're not lazy. They're not idle. And they got hired. And they're hired. So as you see it, and as you see this generous landowner, what's so beautiful about this story that, if, you know, when my eyes are open and I finally I could get it, finally I could understand it, you know, that this generous landowner, he paid these people not according to their labor, to their productivity, their gifts, or their talents. They, he paid them according to their needs. And that's what's so beautiful about the story. He paid them according to their needs. They all had needs. The one got lucky, the other one not. But in the end of the day, they all received the same payment. So... As I said, this parable is not about wages, employment, socialism, or communism, anything like it. It's about God's generous grace to all of us. So as we go through all these parables, you know, we know the, at the end of it, the reward of it, one denarius, is, you know, is eternal life. And as I was sharing with our young people, eternal life is eternal life. You can't go to God and say, Listen, I've been working in a church for 40 years, so, you know, why don't you grant me two eternal lives? And, you know, we have a brat here. He's just the poor guy. He just came, so give, me, give him half eternal life for now, okay? If he deserves you, I'll give him maybe one eternal life. It doesn't work like that. Eternal life is eternal life. They all receive eternal life. That's the beauty of God's salvation. You know, my God might call you today. Or next week, and you know, don't have to work for four years, but as long as your God knows your heart, you might just receive eternal life as people who have been working hard for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years. What points, what we can learn from this parable? And there are many. Like, you know, there are many. I'm not just saying that that's the only points that we can take out of this parable. There are many, but just few that, you know, I think they're important, at least for me. Right here, as you read this parable. The point number one, God initiates salvation. Can't go any other way. It's God who is going to marketplace, and he's speaking and he's choosing whom he wants to get to his vineyard. It's not up to us that, you know, you know, look how smart it is. I was so bored and I opened up the Bible and suddenly like, wow, I can read it. I can understand everything. It doesn't happen like that. It can happen, but it usually doesn't happen like that. It is God who calls us first. And, you know, we know the scripture. We can go. We don't have to go there, but John 6, chapter 44. It's God who calls people. It's not us. Point number two. 
It is God who sets the terms. And it's not us. We can't set the term. We can only come and we can accept those terms sent by God the Father. We can't change them. We can't say, oh, you know, but. Or what about this? No, we have nothing to say about that. Point number three. As the story is in this marketplace. God is continually calling his people into his kingdom. No matter what the hour of the day. God is working every single day. He comes in the morning. He comes at 9 o'clock. He comes at 12. He's looking for willingness. For willing laborers who want to come into his kingdom. He's always busy with his son, Jesus Christ. Point four. Am I going too fast? No, okay. Point four. All that came to the vineyard, all of them that came, were willing to work hard and were always available. At every hour of the day, not just when they choose or pick. It's rain today. You know, it's cold today. Snow today. I think I will stay home and enjoy myself. These people are always available around the clock. And I said there can be many, many points. If you had some other points, please share. We can talk later. There's not just what I'm giving you, but way more than that. And the point five. God always gives us more than we deserve. Right? Very generous, very loving, very kind. And he always gives us more than we deserve. And because he's so generous, because he's so generous, don't get envious of somebody else. You know, because I've been in a church for 40 years. You know, I've been speaking in church for six years. And there comes the young man. He's been in a church for six months and one year. And he tried to be smarter than me. It's all about humility. Don't try to compare, you know, ourselves to ourselves. Because if you start doing this thing, then, you know, not going to have much of our church. If you want to compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus Christ. We have different gifts and gifts and talents. Don't get envious of anybody else. And because of God is so great and so generous, don't you ever think that you deserve more because you work harder or because you work longer or whatever the case might be. Don't ever think that, you know, God, I deserve more than this sister. Oh, I deserve more than this brother. Only God can judge your hearts, our hearts, and he knows the best who deserves what at the end of the day. Now, is God fair? When you put it in spiritual meaning, this parable, is God fair? Absolutely, he is fair. He's more than fair. He's loving. He's great. Not in an economic sense. Let's, go, let, let's look at Hebrew. Hebrew chapter 11. Hebrew chapter 11 and verse 36. Verse 36, still others had trial of mocking and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the word was not worthy. They wandered in the desert and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. 
and all these having obtained having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise verse 40 God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us the first shall be last the last shall be first it's all fair it's all equal verse 12 uh, chapter 12 verse verse 1 because of this great generous salvation offer verse 1 therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not matter if you finish the cross line second, third, or fourth, or fifth, but just make sure that you ran and you keep running till you finish this crossing line at the end of it. And get yourself disattached from any sin, anything that can slow you down along the way. Because, you know, sometimes, and especially sin, will slow you down a lot and may even kill you along the way. So just be careful. So is God fair? Absolutely is God fair. Okay, so that's the first parable. That was a little bit one longer. Now we go to the next one. And this one is just one sentence parable. And you just think like, one sentence. What are you just going to speak about? One sentence. How are we going to cover this parable? So I don't have my watch. I don't have, what time is it? So, but we're not in rush anyway, right? Today, so. Now we're going to cover one of the shortest parables. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the leaven. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And in verse 33. It's one of the shortest ones. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it all was leaven. What's the traditional interpretation of this parable? How do, how do you read it when you first come across this parable? How would you read this parable? I'll tell you how I understood it. It's very easy. It's very simple. You put a leaven. Leaven spreads everywhere. Till all it's leaven. Just that's how we read it. So the kingdom of God. You preach it. The message which go to the end of the earth. It's going to spread all over the place. This whole earth. Will have. Preached the kingdom of God. Okay. Maybe we can interpret the scripture when you live in the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century. Now we live in the 21st century. We have 8 billion people, approximately 8 billion people on this planet. I think so. 8 billion people. How many of these 8 billion people are Christians today? Any guesses? Give a wild guess. 2.2 billion people. 2.5 billion people are Christians. If you included Catholics, Catholics, all the Protestants, denominations, and Eastern Orthodox churches. We'll get about 2.4, 2.5 billion people. We are in minority, brethren. So I guess the leaven is not working anymore. This leaven is dying here slowly, right? Or maybe Jesus Christ was mistaken here when he was giving actually this parable. It's a you know, original interpretations of this parable. And first time I had a different interpretation about this parable was actually from Pastor Ramakan. So he gave me a clue into this thing. And I got all the different ways trying to interpret it. And as I shared with you before with the first one, it's so much easier to read a parable when you try to identify the players in this parable. It's so much easier when you try to identify the players. So let's start with the woman. Because it doesn't say what kind of woman, it's just a woman. Okay? What do you think? What the Bible would say about the woman? 
Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Hold your place there. Revelation chapter 12. There are many, many places in the Bible that women are mentioned, okay? So I'll just, just, just pick a few of them. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 12. And in verse 1. And a great sign appear in heaven, and here it is, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head. So we can look at this and you can, you know, whatever you want to interpret this, who is this woman is, it's up to you. I'm going to give you the interpretation who this woman here is in Revelation chapter 12. Let's go to other, let's say Revelation chapter, go to chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17 and verse 3. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman. Oh, there's another woman. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 4. The woman was arrayed in a purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abomination and the filthness of her fornication. So whatever you want to interpret here, that's, I leave it up to you. Whatever you want to see it here, okay, who the woman symbolizes here. Let's go to the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah 47. Isaiah chapter 47. Verse 1. Isaiah 47 verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust of virgin daughter of Babylon. So there's another kind of a woman here. Virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without the throne, or daughter of the Chaldeans, for she no more be called tender and delicate. So, in this case, here's this this uh, this virgin daughter, which is called also the harlot, is the Babylon system of worship. But woman is not not always negative, portrayed negatively in the Bible. In some cases, the woman is portrayed in a positive way, like you know. Let let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And in verse 21. In this case, Paul is writing to the Galatians church and he used symbols of two women. And comparing the two covenants. The old one and the new one. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not know, do you not, do you not hear the law? Verse 21, for it's written that Abraham two sons, the one by the bond woman and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was, was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which give birth to the bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is the Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which, is, which now is, and is the bondage with her children. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother, mother of us all. For it is written, here is a quote, but verse 28. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Verse 30, nevertheless, what does the scripture says? Cast out the bull woman and her son, for the son of the bull woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Verse 31, so the brethren, we are not children of the bull woman, but of, of the free. So basically, Hagar, the physical Jerusalem, is the old covenant, the new Jerusalem, and Sarah and her children is the new covenant. So we can see two women. It doesn't have to be the negative portray in the Bible of women, but basically, you can go, we can also look, I think, in Ezekiel chapter 60. You don't have to go there, just write it down. 
But, you know, I think in this case, in Ezekiel, the woman is also portrayed like, you know, like Israel. And we also know that bride of Christ is church, which is in a positive way. But, you know, at the end of all of this thing, when you try to compare with scriptures, how, how scriptures represent symbols, not how we represent the symbols, how we interpret the symbols, we can say that woman either can represent a true worship of God or a false worship of God. So we have to read the context for a little bit further just to see if she's portrayed in a negative way or in a, you know, or in a positive way. But we'll just come to this a little bit later. Now let's look at the other players in this parable that we just read. Leaven. What does the Bible say about leaven? Can you find me a scriptures in the New Testament or anywhere, at least one scriptures in the Bible that leaven is portrayed in a positive way? Can you find it? No. So the kingdom of God is like leaven. Doesn't make any sense, right? Leaven is never ever, in not one single verse in the Bible, portrayed as something good. Leaven in itself is good. It's good in our bread, our bonds. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But spiritually, leaven is never good. And, you know, we can go to some scriptures. I'm not going to go all of them, but at least I'll show you a few of them. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16 and verse 6, Jesus says, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What is he talking about? What is the leaven that he's talking about? Just skip down to verse 12. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he's compared to leaven to the doctrine. He's compared, you know, Pharisees to the leaven to the hypocrisy a little bit later on. You know, also we can look at Mark. Actually, just go there to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And in this case, in verse 15, then he charged them, saying, Take heed. And he says, Beware of the leaven of Pharisees, and he's adding in a little bit extra, and the leaven of Herod, which is totally politically oriented guy and economically. So you can see, never ever leaven is portrayed in a Bible in a positive way. And especially the last scripture about leaven, if you go to Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we all know that scripture very well. But it's always good to review it. First Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole land? Verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lamb, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we know the leaven is something that is not good spiritually. Now, we look at the woman, what can woman can mean? Now, we have identified the other player. So here, in this case, when you read in, in Matthew chapter 13, when you go back to this parable, I have an expression. It depends what kind of Bible you might have. You might have, a, you might have a different understanding. But in my Bible, it says here that this woman, she, she hid in a tree measure of a meal, tree measure of a meal. So to us, this might not mean a lot, tree measure of a meal. And if you read some other modern Bible, it might not even say that at all. You might use some other words to describe it, right? But what is the tree measure of a meal? And, you know, if you are a good student of the Bible, check it out. Where is the first time in the Bible that something like that will ever appear, tree measure of a meal? 
Okay. Oh, way far. Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. How did you place there in Matthew? But Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. And I'm saying depends what kind of Bible we're reading, but you have to go to original text, right? Genesis chapter 18. And look at here, verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good cough, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And you know, we all the story, Abram entertained the messengers of God, or maybe God himself at this time. Three measures of a meal with something that had a special meaning to a Jewish audience. They would pick it up right away when Jesus was speaking to them. What is the three measure of a meal? They would, know, they would know it. They would know right away. Not so much for us today. Look to Judges chapter, look to Judges chapter 6 and verse 19. The same thing. Judges 16, Judges 6, I apologize, Judges 6, and verse 19, yeah, there is a Gideon story, and the thing happened to Gideon, in verse 19, just breaking it into the context, so Gideon went out and prepared a young goat, and unleavened bread from a three measure of a meal, or in some Bible you may read an ephah of la flour, which is exactly the same, three measure of a meal. Okay? First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1. And verse 24, it's talking about Samuel and Hannah, breaking it into the context again. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls and three measure of a meal, or an ephah and flour, which is exactly the same thing, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and, she, and the child was young, and that's where they sacrificed all of it. Okay? Why I'm, why I'm saying, you know, we can also find this thing in Ezekiel chapter 45 and verse 20. Ezekiel chapter 45 and verse 24. You don't have to go there. You can write it down. You can check it. But the last scripture that I want to talk about, that, you know, about this, about this meaning of it is in Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. And as you read here, you go along all these God sacrifices that were performed at the temple. Verse 15, chapter 15, and verse 8. And when you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, or as a peace offering to the Lord, then you shall, then you, then, then shall be offered with a young bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, or of a fine flour. It is exactly the same thing, three measure of a meal. And I can give you exactly the the measurement of, you know, this dry weight, if you want to, a little bit later, I want to bore you with all these technical things, but you will see it. Like that was the meaning, exactly the same meaning, true measure of a meal, had exact meaning and application that was used in the temple worship. Okay, so when Jesus Christ was, was talking about true measure of a meal and somebody adding leaven to it, there was already something wrong with this thing. Something is not going right here. You never add leaven. You never add leaven to a sacrifice. You can never sacrifice leaven in the temple. That was forbidden. Okay, That was forbidden all the time. And just to make this point, you can, you can check it. Leviticus chapter 2. Just to make this point clear so we understand. There was always a separation of leaven from the temple worship, from God's worship. Leviticus chapter 2. And look at verse 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord, shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, 
and in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Simple, clear. You can mix up three measures of a meal with any leaven whatsoever. That was sacrificial. That was blasphemy against God. So all this thing, as you can see, most of it was used in the fellowship offering in the temple. But you can see Abraham used it to entertain God there, entertain the messengers of God, entertain the angels. He prepared a meal that had exactly the same measurement and stuff like that. It was, that was actually later, later used for the sacrificial temple, for, for sacrificial offering in the temple. It's got a very specific meaning. At least had a very specific meaning to Jewish people back then. Now when you read it, we, not make, we might not make the connections. So this fellowship offering, this fellowship meal, was something important, was something huge in the Old Testament, but it's also something very important in the New Testament, the fellowship of the believers. You know, remember when you studied, we had to study the book of Acts, how they break bread, or how they went from home to home. It was all about the fellowship. It was all about the fellowship. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I will show you how important it was for Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. And in verse 9. First Corinthians chapter... One in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you can, you can go through it and you find it throughout many, many, many verses of the scripture. But I'm just going to show you a different author, John. First John chapter 1. The first John chapter 1 and in verse 3. First John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we also have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you also might have this precious fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So go back to the same parable. As we can understand what is three measure of the meal. We might have some general idea what it is. We might have some general idea about the woman. You know, we, have, we know pretty sure what the leaven is. Let's put it all together here and read this parable one more time again with all this information that we just acquired in our, you know, in our mind. Then another parable, and look, look this woman in a context. Does it portray something positive or something negative? And another parable, Matthew 13 and verse 33. Another parable, he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hide in three measures of a meal. Is the gospel message needs to be hide? What did Christ taught us? Speak it. Teach it. Everywhere. Make disciples wherever you go. To the ends of the earth. Teach it. Did he ever said, you know, you must have a secret meeting. You must have a secret conversation. No one needs to hear. The message is secret. It's got to pass to each other secretly. Was something like that ever in the Bible of the God's kingdom? But this woman, why was the need for this woman to hide? It? To hide in a three measure of sun. Why, why was the point of it? So I'm not saying that, you know, my interpretation is 100% right. I'm just trying to look for the evidence. I try to look for the players on one side. And try to conclude what could be the meaningful meaning of it. And you know what? It's not a great end story of this parable. Because according to this parable, you know, it's actually Satan, the devil, who's going to dominate it. He's going to send his angels and corrupt this thing. This teaching corrupt the doctrine and especially, especially destroy the fellowship. The fellowship that is represented here by these three meals with one another. And you know, if you look for historical confirmation, just look at our churches right now. We are broken into, I don't know how many, hundreds of thousands of groups. And you know, God forbid if we come, you know, if we come together for our day of worship. You know, we might say, yes, we have some, you have, you have some, we have some qualities that we're going to fight till that. You know, we keep the Sabbath. You know, we keep the holidays, but other than that, we don't even like to come together. 
So it's not the same church that used to be at the beginning of the century. Look at our doctrines now. You know, and now I know my kids and many of us went to Kentucky for a you know, winter retreat there, and you know, there are a lot of sports activities, stuff like that. But, you know, last year, last year or two years ago, I spoke to a pastor from our church, and he said, and he said something like this. He said, Jan, if you want to fellowship with people, you go around. If you want to find any new doctors, you'll find right there. There's a bunch of people, bunch of people who, you know, you could probably go there and ask all these people a question, and most of them would say, I'm from independent. I am from independent. I am from independent. Everybody's independent. Everybody's independent. And I don't know, I don't know, you'll have to tell me if you know, like, which group was the biggest church there instead of independent church of God. Let's say, like, some, there was none. It's just all the independent churches. So we can't even organize any activity together just for the sake of fellowship. We can't. So Satan infiltrated our ranks. And he's succeeding. And the way how it's going to be, it's going to be, we actually, the doctrines, everything is going to be so much influence that there will be just few people at the end of this. They're going to hold to this truth that was delivered once and for all for the saints. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.com. Thank you.